how awesome have the last few weeks been? You know, we've been going through our 3, 2, 1, Go series. We've been going through a financial series. And I feel like as a church, we've kind of stepped into a new level of maturity. Because although we've been talking about finances for a few weeks, there's been no grumbling. You know, there's been no sort of resistance to what God wants to say. And actually, we've been letting our word read us and allow that to really be the substance that we live from. And so I'm proud of our church, and I hope you are too. Not just of what we're doing out in the community, but how we challenge ourselves to grow as well as Jesus followers. And this morning, like I said, we're celebrating what God has done through our church, and we're also looking forward to what He's going to do through our church in the future. You see, the amazing thing about God is that He loves us unconditionally. That He sent His Son to die for us on the cross. And that he has an amazing plan for our life. And if you're new here this morning, that's what I want you to know. God has got an amazing plan for your life. And the funny thing about God plans is that they usually don't just include ourselves. A God plan usually always includes others. And we know that we need good people around us here at Eastlake. People that love us, challenge us, and believe in us. So I hope that you meet someone this morning... That is that for you? Because you're probably sitting next to someone who's just like you. We haven't got it all figured out. And we still need good people in our lives. And I think there are good people here at Eastlake. Yeah? Chris? Yeah, he's all right. That's why we come to church. That's why we tackle topics like finances, because we care. We care about doing the best we can for the glory of God, only because of what he did for us on the cross. In week one, we said that this building serves as a message to the community that the church is not archaic and dying, but that the church is alive and well, alive with hope and full of love to give. And I don't know if anything tells that story better than that education support center carnival that we had the following Saturday, the previous Saturday. One dad said that he's like, I'm guilty. I thought there'd be strings attached when the word church was attached to the carnival. Because we didn't go over there. We don't know any of the parents, any of the family. We simply went over to the principal and said, we would love to do this for your kids. And he said, that'd be awesome. And we sent out invitations and the parents were none the wiser, had no idea what was going on. And he said he can't wait to get back to tell the other parents that there wasn't strings attached, that actually the church was a safe place and that all we did was love on them. How awesome is that? One, another mum said that it was the best day of her year so far. Another mum said she had never gone to an event before where her child could stay for the entire two hours, didn't want to leave, and enjoyed the whole thing because it was just for them. How cool is that? You know, a teacher came along to that at the end, and she said, I have never seen this particular boy sit down and listen and behave in the way that he did. Just incredible. Just incredible. So thank you, church, for being a part of that. That's why we care about our building. That's why we give. We are all partners in that. And I want you to know that this morning, that we are all partners in what this church does. 
That's why even though we have 10 years left on our loan, if you haven't been over here over the last few weeks, we're setting the goal to pay our mortgage off for the next three years. We're calling it three, two, one, go. We can do it. Yeah? I hope so. No longer do I want to say that our budget yields to our ability to repay our mortgage. Because in all reality, our finances, personally and as our church, they yield to our God, who said that not even the gates of hell would stand against the church. In week one of the series, we discovered that our proximity with God brings a greater perspective and a greater purpose. And we talked about how sometimes, like Elijah, we can cry out, am I the only one God? Is there not anyone else here for me? And like Elijah found as he drew close to God, that God responded and said, no, I have 5,000 others that didn't bow down to Baal. In other words, who are you to question my resources? Draw close to me and let me show you your future beyond anything you could ask or imagine. And in week two, we sat up here and we did part two of the interview with Grandad. And we discovered that you can't outgive God. And Grandad talked about how the restoration of his $449,000 could only really be attributed, every time I mention the number, they all oh, die. The restoration of that could only be attributed to faithful tithing and sacrificial giving. That actually God's way is countercultural to the world's way. That it is in our giving away that we are in return blessed. And in week three, dad went right to the core, the why behind the what. Why do we care? Why do we give? Why are we Jesus followers? Because of his forgiveness. And we explored that thought that if the forgiveness is minimal, then the gratitude is minimal. And how many of you know how much we have been forgiven? Amen? And so today, what I want to explore today is ownership. You don't know what it means yet, so you can't really celebrate with me. I want to explore how ownership isn't about taking possession of what is in front of you, but actually taking responsibility for what has been entrusted to you. Ownership is not about taking possession of what is in front of you, but taking responsibility for what has been entrusted to you. To you. Are you ready? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that all of us here would have our hearts open to what you want to say to us. Lord, I pray that seeds would be planted this morning that would reap a harvest, ultimately a harvest of souls in your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So at Vision Launch in February this year, we took hold of that Nehemiah 3 vision. Who was here at Vision Launch, Feb 10? It's June 30. Only the accountants are happy. So in Nehemiah 3, we, we discovered that, that all of the families actually took responsibility of the wall in front of them. Where in unity and diversity, there were jewelers, builders, accountants, 
checkout chicks, working alongside each other to rebuild a wall. And the, the interesting thing about that story is that they didn't just say, this is my, my spot on the wall. They actually took up tools and swords to work on it and protect it. And what I think is interesting about that story is that the evidence of their ownership wasn't where they lived. The evidence of their ownership was where they sacrificed. It was where they actually choose to work and protect. And for you and I, I think that's us in this church here. Can I fix this mic? Is that all good? Cool. Ownership is not about taking possession of what is in front of you, but taking responsibility for what has been entrusted to you. Maybe one of the most powerful stories of ownership in the Bible comes in Matthew 25, the story of the three servants and the talents or the bags of silver. And Jesus said to his disciples about the kingdom of God in verse 14 of Matthew 25. He said again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. What did you do today, Dale? Dug a hole. Little castle reference there for you. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. His money. The master's money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver and I have to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done. My good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your, your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, 
even what little they have will be taken away. Which one of the servants do you want to be? What was the difference between the two servants who invested and the one who buried it? They were all slaves. They were all servants of the master. They had that in common. The money was never theirs to keep. All of them. They all had possession of the silver. But only two of the servants took responsibility for what had been entrusted to them. They were not owners of the wealth, the two servants, but they took ownership of it. They were not owners of the wealth, but they took ownership of it. The servant who buried the the money blamed the master. He said, I knew you were harsh. You did this and you did that. And he blamed the master. And I wonder if any of us have ever been guilty of blaming before. I put my hand up last week and said I hadn't sinned all week. That was a lie. (laughs) Thank you. We say things like, the dog ate my homework. Or, Lee didn't remind me, so I forgot. Or, what else we got here? Lee left that there, so she should clean it up. Most of mine are relating to Lee. (laughs) Or we say things like, the real estate agent was dodgy. It was nothing to do with my choice to invest there. Or we say it was just the way I was raised. Or we might blame and say, if they didn't say that, then I wouldn't have done this. Or if they didn't do that to me, then I wouldn't have done that. But do you know what happens when we blame? When you blame, you become powerless. You abdicate responsibility. Because this is the key. You can only change what you own. You can only change what you own, what you take responsibility for. You can only change what you take ownership of. Let me put it this way. Have you ever walked into someone's house and thought in all of your grace and Christ-likeness, I could do better than this? Looked around and said, canary yellow for a feature wall? I hope no one's got a canary yellow feature wall. I mean like a soft yellow, but that oh, that's just not right. Or the classic one is, why is the switch on that side of the wall? If I had built this house, the switch would have been on this side of the wall. What is that couch doing there? It's the wrong spot for it. Jill and I have this because I lived in her house before she lived in her house and then she changed it all around and I had it set up the better way but you know it's an ongoing thing <clears throat> do you know what I'm talking about there but what can you change about that nothing because it's not your house I mean you can start moving around the furniture but you're not going to get an invite back to the house because you can only change what you own You can only change what you take ownership of. So what then do we own? The world will tell you what you own is in figures and things. And if you explore your Bible, it'll tell you that really you own nothing. So what then do we own? As humans, apart from God, with God, what do we own? What is our power? I want to suggest this morning that 
Really, the only thing we own, the power we have, is choice. God's power is truth. The enemy's power is deception. And our power is choice. Let me say that again. God's power is truth. The enemy's power is deception. And our power is choice. We have been entrusted with the power of choice. So what will you do with your choice? That's the question, isn't it? What will you do with your choice? I'd like us to think about that right now. To take 30 seconds, maybe close your eyes, and dream of where you want to be in five years' time. Where you want to be as a leader, as a mother, a husband, an employee, or Jesus follower. What does your life look like in five years' time with God? Think about that. Draw a vision in your head. And now ask yourself, are the choices I'm making today going to take me to that place? Do I need to change some choices? Do I need to introduce some choices in order to make it to that place? What will you do with your choice? The three servants all had possession of the silver, but they simply made a different choice of what to do with it. And their choice was based on who they perceived the master to be. The Message Bible puts verse 28 and 29 this way. Jesus said, Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. If you don't believe that you have been entrusted with anything, then you really have no urgency to do anything with it, right? Look what happened to the two who recognized that the master cared enough about them, trusted them enough that he would entrust those bags of silver to them. Verse 23 said, The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The Message Bible again says, You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Let's celebrate together. How awesome is that statement from the master? Because you know, the master in this story really represents God to us. God cares about us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, gifting us eternal life for those who would believe in him. But it didn't stop there. He entrusted us in our here and now with that very message, the good news. So the question is, are our choices reflecting what God has entrusted to us? Are our choices reflecting what God has entrusted us with? You know, God wants to celebrate with us. God wants to partner with us. We are his chosen vessel. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, if you, For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. How powerful is that? You know, the future awaits those with the courage to create it. Don't blame. Don't abdicate responsibility. 
Take ownership of what has been entrusted to you, for you can only change what you own. You know, trusting God is not an abdication of responsibility. It's actually an embracing of responsibility. And we have been entrusted. We are accountable for what we have been given. We are responsible. So when it comes to 3, 2, 1, go, why pay off our loan quicker? Because we've been entrusted with this. You have. I have. And I want to set a God-honoring goal that reflects His faithfulness towards us. I don't want to be sidelined any longer. And I dream of what the future could look like in 2023, at the end of 3, 2, 1, go, when what we take up in the offering goes in full to loving our city and the broken. That's what this is all about. We are all about being hope traffickers. When you walked in this morning, you saw it on the wall. That's our vision. That's our mission. We are hope traffickers. Do you remember what trafficker means? Trafficker literally means a person who deals or trades in something illegal. (laughs) People who will do anything they can to conceal, to transport a product to its destination against the threat of jail, death and violence. So what would it look like to traffic a different kind of product? What would it look like to traffic hope? What would it look like to take the same attitude of recklessness to our zeal to share hope with the world? I see hope traffickers in our church. People who refuse to allow the circumstances around them to steal their portion of hope. People that would stand in the way for others so that they would keep their hope intact. Hope in the darkness. Hope in the pain. Hope through the journey. When all seems lost, hope. When something seems buried, hope. Because the world once buried our Savior. But there was a power greater than the grave. And Romans 8 says that that power lives in us. Romans 8 and verse 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. We are hope traffickers, church. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. I said this at the start of the year. Who needs hope? If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. So who needs hope? 
Those that would say hope is lost. Those that would say that there is no end to my pain and to my suffering. Those who would fight against you. Those who would torment you because they know not what they do. Who needs hope, church? This broken world that believes that the commodity of hope is almost illegal. The good news, too controversial, too unbelievable. Who needs hope? The broken and the lost. Can we do it? I think we're called to do it. The local church, the hope of the world. As Lee wrote in her book, hope in us stirs hope in others. The local church, that's you, that's me, that's Eastlake, right here. We are your local church. We are hope traffickers. And we are building something here, and it's more than just a church. It's a movement of people undivided by preference or cultural background and united in our love for Christ. People who would put aside personal preference and background to pick up a sword and to pick up a hammer and move forward and work on that wall and rebuild our city brick by brick. That would pick up those tools in a united way so that we could bring hope to all humanity. Because our God loves us and we love him. And he has changed our world so we can't help but share that. We can't help but be generous. Don't let someone else steal your blessing. Take ownership of what God has entrusted you with. Take responsibility and step into the game. Take a risk for the God who saved you. Take a risk for the God who saved you. Are your choices reflecting what God has entrusted you with? You know, we're about to take up our 3, 2, 1, go offering. So if you want to prepare that, please start preparing, preparing that. But what I want to say to you is that this message isn't all about money. We have been entrusted with more than just money. We've been entrusted with that message, the good news. We've been entrusted with our families, our jobs, everything we have. The Bible says we have been entrusted with. And so this week, as you go about your week, can I remind you of that vision that you formed in your head in 30 seconds? Maybe during the week, write that down. Maybe write down where you want to be in five years with God. And then think about one choice that you could change. One choice that you could introduce that will start your trajectory towards that vision. Write that down. A practical step that you can put in place to get you there. We did this as a youth team on Tuesday night. and We got together and we wrote down where we want to be in five years. And we wrote down three choices that we could make that would take us there. And this week we're putting that into place. Because there is an urgency about what we have been entrusted with. Don't wait. Start now. Start this week. Reflect on what your choices 
are and how they reflect what you have been entrusted with. We are asking you to consider in this moment what God might be calling you to give over and above your tithe or your covenant giving. And today we'll take up an offering and you can give in one-off giving or you can make a 12-month pledge. Whatever it is, we are going to celebrate God's miraculous move through this church. Can we pray together? Dear Lord, in this moment, I pray that we would recognize the weight of what you had entrusted us with. Lord, we stand on your word this morning that time and time again promises that as we give, we shall receive. And that as we give, you multiply it. And so, Lord, I pray that what is given into the offering in this moment would be multiplied into our church. And also that it would be multiplied in blessing back to those who have given. Lord, we're calling for $50,000 in this offering moment. And Lord, I believe you are in that. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You said to Job, do you know where the wind comes from? Do you know where I store the rain? Lord, we don't know everything about you. We can't possibly comprehend everything that you are. But we know that everything you did with your son was for us. And Lord, we have been forgiven so much. And so I pray that this offering is a reflection of our forgiveness. Help us to make choices that reflect who you are to us. And how much you love us. Because we love you, God. And Lord, I pray towards 2023, when we are released from this mortgage. And I pray over Love My Mandra over the next three years, Lord. That what we can achieve with what we have in the next three years would be incredible. Would be like that carnival. Would be like date night. Would be like the Renault Rescues and Solo Mums. And God, I pray that you would multiply that. Because we care about this city. We love our city and we love people because we know that you love people. And that you said that nothing could separate us from your love. And so Lord, we want to share that same heart for the people in this community. And we want to give towards that. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm excited. We're going to start passing around the buckets and please prepare that. And obviously, we'll give the opportunity to give into that over the next few weeks. But while we do that, will you check out this video from Jane, Ruth, and Di?